This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Uh, the seminar is entitled A Revolution of Destiny, the Sanctuary Context. We're in part four. Uh, the seminar number four is entitled The 1844 Revolution in the Most Holy Place. The first seminar, we covered the general aspects of the sanctuary, and we talked about the 12 tribes and how even the address where you lived reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the four faces of Jesus. And for those of you who are here on, when was that, Saturday afternoon, what were the, what were the four faces of Jesus? Not the four animals, but the four faces of Jesus. The Son of Man. Suffering servant, the divine son of God, and the king of kings. Amen, amen. And then the second seminar, we covered the, the, the calendar that revolved itself around the sanctuary. And even the calendar reflected Jesus, yes? And we had looked at the fall fest, uh, the spring festivals that reflected Jesus' ministry in his first time here. And we looked at the spring festivals that talk about what will happen before Jesus comes the second time. And we looked at us uh, particularly in the, 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 the Pentecost and how we today are a fulfillment or a, a, uh, the continuing fulfillment of that. And that whatever happens in heaven, there are repercussions here on, on earth. And then uh, the second seminar, the third seminar was on, what was the third seminar on? Uh, oh, no, the feast was the second seminar. I totally blanked on the third seminar. Oh, this is the third seminar. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the third. This is the fourth seminar. The third seminar was, we went through the holy place. I don't even remember the seminar that I gave yesterday. Uh, the third seminar was on the holy place, and we looked at the our articles of, of the furniture in the holy place. And what were those three things? Golden lampstand and showbread and, and altar of incense. And then how we went into the, directly into the holy place in the book of Revelation. And we're following Jesus. And after you see the backbone structure that Jesus went to, the golden candlestick, and then the seven churches. He once goes to the table of showbread, the seven seals, and he goes to the golden, golden altar of, sac, uh, of incense. And you have the seven trumpets. And we talked about that. And these three septets are paralleling each other. Parallel each other. Today, we're going to take one step further and then go into the most holy place. The most holy place. Um, there's something um, very familiar, and I mentioned this yesterday. For, how many of you are here uh, previously? No, 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 hands down. How many of you are here for the first time? Oh, Lord, have mercy upon you. Uh, you will not understand bananas at all. Um, <laughs> Okay. Now, I use the bananas thing as, as, as a frivolous kind of comic thing, but do you understand how the, those of you guys who are in the in, do you feel like you're in the in? Yeah. Yes, right? And for those of you who are in the out, do you totally feel like you're in the out? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. And so that's how, when, if you understand the, the sanctuary, and you're reading Daniel and Revelation, especially those two books... It's very, very familiar. You kind of know your GPS bear. It's like, oh, I know this place. But if you don't know the sanctuary and you read Daniel Revelation, you're like, whoa. And, and you're like, I, I just maybe this is, this is not my thing. Okay? Uh, hopefully this will all kind of congeal together. I'm, 
Amen. Amen. Uh, something that, that I wanted to mention is that the, I mentioned yesterday, is the sanctuary is kind of like God's house. I mean, it is God's house, but in the front yard, you have a big old a barbecue grill and a kiddie pool. In the holy place, you have a humongous chandelier, a dining table, and the largest air freshener you've ever seen. And why do they need an air freshener? It's because of the smell of blood. And then in the most holy place, and the most holy place in my imagination is my bed. Yes? In my bed, it's like, don't ever go in my bed. If you're a guest in my house, if you come into my room, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stare at you really, why are you in my bedroom? And if you go into my bed, unless I give you permission to, and I don't know why you'd ever be in my bed, okay, unless you're my wife, uh, why, why are you there? And then the most holy part of the bed would be my pillow. Amen? Because the pillow is where I put my head, Right? So when I'm sleeping, I want my pillow to be perfect and clean and, 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 and just, just ah, nice, okay? So if you come in and you place your feet, and by the way, Asians take off our shoes when we enter a house because you traveled all over America into public restrooms and who knows what's on the floor of those things and what you've picked up, but many in the, the Western culture, you bring those things right on in. And let's say you come into my bedroom and then you put up, you, you, you lift your legs and put your shoes on top of my pillow. That would be very distressing to me. Uh, but we see in the sanctuary message that this is exactly what's happening. That is, God is bringing the sins of humanity into the most holy place. And that's just very... Uh, crazy idea for me. And we're going to see why he does this and some of these things. Uh, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2 through 5 is our beginning point. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2 through 5. I know it's up on the PowerPoint, but I'm going to encourage you to open this up uh, on, your, on your iPads or your touches or your phones or uh, your, your, your books. Um, opening, uh, the, anyway, we'll, we'll stop there. Okay. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. Are you there? Hebrews is in the New Testament. Uh, chapter 9 is, is before chapter 10, after chapter 8. While you're turning to the book of Hebrews, um, w- once you have the sanctuary as kind of a, uh, a kind of like sunglasses or glasses to put on, the, all, the entire scripture really comes alive. Okay? Uh, uh, Leviticus comes alive. Numbers comes alive. Deuteronomy comes alive. Um, the Chronicles comes alive. How many of you have ever read Chronicles? And you're like, whoa, what happened? Like, the pace was going with kings, and then Chronicles, like, oh. And then Ezra's like, okay. And then Nehemiah, okay. And then Psalms, okay. Psalms is kind of, you know, and then Proverbs, probably like, you know, fortune cookie in the Bible. Okay, good stuff. And then Ecclesiastes, like, whoa. You're like, depressed after. And then, you know, Song of Solomon, rated R with Song of Solomon. And then Isaiah, oh. Okay. Once you get this, the, the sanctuary, even the prophets, the minor prophets, just like, come alive. Um, once you read Paul's writings, Paul is using a lot of banana language in his writings. He uses washed by the word of God. Now, he's not saying washed like you go to the public bathroom and you're washing your hands, but is there washing going on in the sanctuary? I mean, he's using direct cleansing labor language. When he's using blood language, he's using straight from the altar of sacrifice. When he's using the book of John, you cannot understand the book of John without understanding the sanctuary. And Revelation, we talked about. But one of the books that's a complete mystery to the majority of Protestantism is the book of Hebrews. 
And they just take, they just think Hebrews is like, oh, well, Jesus is, is now here and all those old things are passed away. So let's just take the Old Testament out. We'll just read the New Testament. And then Hebrews is really confusing. So we'll just take the, the Hebrews out. Hebrews will just be so, so awesome. And, 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 and are you there yet? Okay, let's read it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. There was a tabernacle made, the first, that means the first room, the first apartment, the first part, which we call the holy place, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now, I believe that there are some good translations and bad translations out there, but I believe every translation has difficulty with Hebrews 8 and 9. Okay? There is no perfect translation out there. Amen, everybody? Okay, the original Greek and the Hebrew, what we need to go to. I know there are some translations that are better. Amen? There are definitely some translations that are better. There are some translations that are good for paraphrase or if you're in the first grade. But do not use that for biblical studies. Amen? God made everything. Genesis 1.1. That, that's a paraphrase. Do not use that for doctrinal and deeper studies. That's just for, for first graders and for those of you who don't want to read deep into Scripture. Uh, here you have, which is called the sanctuary, a better translation for the word sanctuary is the holy place. Amen? So every time holy place, most holy place, and sanctuary is mentioned, uh, the King James uh, flips them around sometimes. The NIV totally flips them around. Every translation has difficulties, but it's pretty clear in the Greek. Verse 3 And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, and which part is this? The most holy place. The most holy place uh, had the golden censer, that's the incense, and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, is there anything weird with verse 4? The golden censer. So a lot of people would say, whoa, 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 whoa. In verse 4, you have the golden censer, and then Paul attributes it to the most holy place. Now, we said yesterday, the location of the altar of incense is actually not in the most holy place, but where? Holy place. So, a lot of people would say, uh, 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 and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. I know there's a debate out there. But he says, Paul has this wrong. The author of Hebrews is wrong. Uh, the New Testament is not inspired. This is not from God. The Bible is not inspired. There are in, this is contradictions. And then, and then they cross this out. Now, this, this, this context, is anyone upset by that? Is anyone hugely distressed that anyone would say the Bible is not inspired? Okay? If you have issues with that, there's another seminar down the street you can go on that talks about biblical inspiration. Or, 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 or another on, on record on gycweb.com. It's a shameless record, uh, plug for the recording. Anyway, so here in verse 4, this is not about locality, but about functionality. Okay? So we know everyone, is, it's, it's totally common sense. Everyone knows the altar of incense is in the holy place, but its function is actually for the most holy place. Yes? Yes. Yes, yes. Yes, okay. Appreciate that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. The, the golden altar of incense has its function in, in the most holy place, and we liken it to a stereo being played out with Christian music. Amen, everybody? In, in, that's not in the dining hall, but on the living, living room. Even though everybody is in the dining hall and eating, the, the actual stereo is where? Not in that room, in another room, but its function is for the dining room. Does that make sense? Okay, so the function of the altar of incense, even though its locality is in the holy place, its function is for the most holy place. Is that, if that's clear, please say amen. amen. 
Okay, we have a lot of stuff to cover here. Inside the, um, uh, the, alt, the Ark of the Covenant, it says here, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was there's three things. What three things are there? First thing is the golden pot that, that had manna. Okay, and in my imagination, I just think about like a cookie jar that's made out of gold, and there's manna inside. And I don't know what manna is, but manna in Hebrew means what is it? There's this whole comedic thing like, hey, what is it? It's what is it? No, no, what is it? 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 It's manna. Manna, 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 no, 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 no. Okay. It's the old Jewish comedy thing. Anyway, there was a golden pot that had manna, and then Aaron's rod that budded. Okay, this is the, the whole rod that Moses and Aaron shared. And later on, we're going to actually read what happened. This, 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 this wooden rod... Uh, well, we'll read it later. And then the third part was the, the tables of the covenant, which we, which we studied a couple of seminars ago, was not these two Charleston Heston pieces of rock, but sapphire stones that were what color? Blue. Very good. Verse 5, and over it the cherubims of glory shattering the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particularly. And verse 5 is very, very, very interesting. There's something called present truth. Have you heard of present truth? Now, truth is always true wherever, whatever time period we're in. But there's sometimes, in, in different ages of Christian and biblical history, that some truth is necessary for a particular time that's not really applicable for another time. Now, there's allusions to other things, but it's not really... So, for example, was there a particular truth during Noah's flood? Now, there's some, I'm sure there's a lot of... There's, we know for sure Noah preached a lot, but do we need to know everything that happened and everything that was said? Does that apply to us today? Not all of it. Now, are there parallels for sure? Yes, there are. And those have been passed down through the ages. Have there, has there been a similar at the Exodus, at, at the Babylonian captivity? All these things. Now, today in 2012, is there a set of truths that apply to us particularly that we need to know right now? And that's been revealed to us. That set of truths has been called, we package it, and what do we call it? Oh, we call it the present truth. Very good. Another word for it is, is it's contained in the spirit of prophecy. Okay? Is Ellen White the spirit of prophecy? No. Okay? Ellen White is not the spirit of prophecy. I am the spirit that comes. Now, did she have the, holy, the spirit of prophecy? Yes. The spirit of prophecy is the same thing as the Holy Spirit, the same person. But this is a particular component of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why am I talking about Oh, verse 5. Okay, here we go. That's a long tangent. Now, we see here that Paul was very focused on the sanctuary. But in verse 5, he talks about the most holy place. And he says, you know what? Verse 5, of which we cannot now speak what? Particular. Meaning, you know, there's, there's stuff going on in the most holy place. And you know what? I, I really don't know that much about it. It's, it's, it's kind of like in the future. And, and it's not really applicable to us right now. So, was, was the most holy place ministry a big focal point for the, the author of Hebrews at this time, right now? Not so much. There's a bigger reality going on at that point. We're going to talk about what that stuff is. Now, the, th- the three things in verse 4 are, number one, the, the cookie jar or the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of covenant. Let's look at these three things. First, you have the, the, the this is a Google image of the golden manna. We, 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 you guys know the stripe of the manna, Yeah. They, they wanted something to eat, and every morning for six days would come, out, would come from heaven these, these, these white wafers. And I don't know, in my imagination, you ever go to the supermarket and go to the cookie section, there's really those cheap little wafer-looking things. That really, really, I just imagine like manna looking like that. And here they're picking it up. On Friday morning, they would pick up twice as much, because on Saturday there would be, because it, it was the? And then some people are like, well, I'm awesome, I'm going to get some more. What happened? 
They went fishing instead because of the worms. That, okay, anyway. Okay, then you have the Aaron's rod that, that budded. This is just a statue that, that was pretty cool. I think that, look, that's Aaron. That's kind of like a Lord of the Rings version of, of, of Aaron. But he has a rod, and this rod, this, this stick, uh, well, we'll read what happened to it. And then you have the Ten Commandments. And this is the Charleston Heston version. That's not really accurate there. Let's look at these three sections. Let's go to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Okay. Chapter 16, verse 2. If you're there, please say amen. Okay. Hurry up, 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 Verse 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel, Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Each uh, chapter or each passage in Scripture has a word that's repeated over and over and over and over again. In chapter 16, the, ver- the word that's repeated over and over is the word murmur. Amen? The word murmur, what does the word murmur mean? And some of your versions say complain. Complaining means, man, this pastor is so boring. That is a, that is a complaint. Yes? A murmur is like, Dude, did you hear this pastor? This guy is so boring. Like, murmuring is exactly what it sounds like. Murmuring is like murmur, murmur, murmur. It's underneath your breath. Make sense? Complaining is like, I don't like you. Murmuring is, man, I just don't like this. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Hey, Moses. Oh, I can't stand these guys. Like, they think they're all walking around in the stick that they got. Okay, verse 2. Okay, so they're murmuring against Moses and Aaron. Verse uh, 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will send rain from heaven, not rain bread from heaven for you. The people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. We talked about this. Verse 7, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he that heareth your murmurings against the Lord, what are we that you murmur against us? Verse 8, Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to you in the morning bread to the full, that the Lord heareth your murmurings which you murmur against. And what are we? For your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Do we see a lot of murmuring going on? Verse 9, Moses spake unto Aaron, said, say unto the children of Israel, uh, congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, he has heard your what? And he sends manna. Verse 15, when the children of Israel saw, they said one to another, it is manna, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Go to verse 33. Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid up before the testimony to be kept. The second part, let's go to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 is where we see the debut, not a debut, but a mentioning of the Ten Commandments. Chapter 32 verse 1, same book. Are you there? Verse 1, And the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. The people gathered themselves together on Aaron and said unto him, Up, make up scods, which shall go up for us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. I love, this is just a weird, 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 weird story. Verse 4, uh, in comes Aaron. Verse 3, All the people break off their golden earrings. They gave to, off their ears and give to Aaron. Verse 4, he received them at their hand. He fashioned it with the graving tool. And after he had made it with a molten calf. Do you see that? In Hebrew, when you have verbs that are repeated over and over, which are synonyms, it means there's a rapid succession of activity going on. There are three active verbs here. Verse 4, he received it, he fashioned it, and he made it. Do you see this? Now, later on, he's completely lying. Because in the Hebrew, he received it, he fashioned it, and he made it. And later on, Moses is like, what are you doing? Uh, I put it in the fire, and it just came out by itself. And Moses is like, really? Like a cow? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like the, the, the fire was just really hot and it just looked like a cow. With horns? Yeah, the fire was just very interesting. Okay? Verse 5, when Aaron saw it, he built an altar. Verse 6, get this. Verse 6, they rose up early on the morrow. They bar, uh, offered burnt offerings. They brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to what? Now, in the King James, it says play. I know some of your versions says play. But there's an Adventist scholar who wrote his whole dissertation on this one word, play. And they were not playing. Amen? Like they weren't throwing a beach ball around back and forth and playing volleyball. They're not playing tag, you're it. Play was another word in the ancient East for, for adult extracurricular activities after 11 o'clock p.m. Amen? Like it's like the, lead, the red light district activity. Like there's like weird pagan uh, adult stuff going on. And there's cows involved, the golden cow. Verse 7. The Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest down the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. Here Moses is having conversation with God. Verse 19. Verse 19. Let's go to verse 17. Uh, when, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise in the war of the camp. This is the, 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 while they're playing, they're making a noise that sounds like war. Okay, Do you understand what's going on? This is not a beach party. Verse, 17, verse 18, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but it is the noise of them that, that sing do I hear. It came to pass as soon as he came near to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. He took the calf in which they had made and burnt it into fire and ground it to powder and, and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink. Uh, go and, he's, and we see there the, the Ten Commandments of verse 15 uh, and verse 16 were, were, were broken. Go to verse 24. Um, verse 24. Verse 23. Make us, for they said unto me, make us, oh, verse 22, forgive me. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot, for thou knowest the people, they are set on their mischief. So he blames the people. Verse 23. But they said unto him, make us gods which uh, shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Uh, and I said unto them, Whatsoever, whosoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, then I cast it into the fire, and there come at this calf. <laughs> like, this is hilarious. This is like a brotherly conversation here. Like, oh, dude, like, they just, you know, anyway. Verse 25, when Moses saw that the people were what? Naked, like if you're having a beach party, why you're naked? There's, there's, this is a, this is weird. Okay, Aaron had made them naked for unto their shame amongst their enemies. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and says, "Who is on the Lord's side?" And you have the sons of Levi come, and the sons of Levi actually just reversed the the, the curse that they got. They got with the, the sons of of, uh, of of Simeon. Let's go to number sixteen. Number sixteen. Numbers sixteen, verse one. Numbers is the fourth book of the of the five, first five books of Moses. Numbers, verse, chapter 16, verse 1. You guys still with me? Verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, uh, the Nathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, and the sons of Peleth, and the sons of Reuben, took men. Now verse, verse 1. Which two tribes are here? Sons of Levi and the sons of Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn. So here you have an internal rebellion going on, and the Reubenites are coming and saying, dude, we're the firstborn, we should be the leaders. Levite comes out and says, dude, we're the priests, 
We should be leaders. And you have a rebellion of a priest-slash-king kind of coalition going on here. Verse 2, They rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation. Verse 3, They gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And they're starting a rebellion. Go to chapter 17. We're just going to skip around to the main parts here. As a, because the leadership was put unto question, chapter 17, verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, take every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, and write every man's name upon his rod. You shall write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the, ha- the head of the house of the fathers. Verse 6, Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave a rod apiece, for each prince one, according to their father's house, of twelve rods. Verse 8, It came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold. Now, whenever you see the word behold, this is not a King James weirdism. It just means this is an emotive marker. There's a lot of emotion going on. This is the equivalent of an exclamation mark in English. Behold. The rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was what? Budded. It brought forth buds, blossomed blossoms, bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. This thing, which was once dead, has now been resurrected into life. These three components are found in the the holy of holies, the most holy place. Question, what do these three things have in common, and why are they in the most holy place? You have the, 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 the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the Ten Commandments. God provided them. Each of those elements are, are moments where God, God uh, provided for his people. But more than that, you see these are three instances or three uh, 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 narratives in the, Old Test- in, the, in, the, in the first five books where Israel had rebelled against God. They had what? Rebelled. Rebelled. And here, they're inside the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant are two cherubim. And what are they doing? They're looking down into these three things. Now, are they really interested in these three things? No. They're interested in rebellion. Interested in what? Rebellion. This whole sanctuary message is not only about saving humanity. But there's a larger picture that needs to be seen. It's kind of like with, 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 with touch pads. You see your, your little map. You take your two fingers and you need sometimes what? That's, that's zooming in. Sometimes you've got to zoom out. Okay? And we've got to like zoom out of ourselves. And a lot of Christianity and a lot of salvation is so centered upon me, 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 me. What does Jesus do for me? How do I become saved? How do I become like Jesus? And these are very, very important questions. But Seventh-day Adventism has a component that says, okay, what about the larger picture for all the other unfallen worlds and the angels out there? All the Klingons and Ewoks and Vulcans and Martians and all the other, other universes out there that need to know about God's character. Now, they need to know about God's character because God's character has, is under threat. What happened is this. Just imagine. Let's say I'm preaching here. I'm, not, I, I'm kind of preaching, talking, seminarizing, teaching here. If I'm, I'm doing this thing, talking, 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 and all of a sudden one person stands up in the middle and walks down the aisle and comes up to me 
And then while I'm preaching, I'm like staring at this guy. I'm like, why is he coming up to me? Is he going to give me a bottle of water? What's he going? And he, and he swings his hand and slaps me across the face. What would happen? There would be a collective, <gasps> yes, yes or no? There would be a reaction. And then what would happen? Everyone's eyes would be on who? On me. Right? Yes or no? Now, I have an option to do two things. I can slap him back. If I slap him back, is that good? (laughs) That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? You just slap me? Well, I'm going to slap you back. Now, sit back down and listen to my sanctuary seminar. Okay. What does that reveal about my character? A lot of people say, dude, this Pastor Kim's got an anger problem. Man, this guy, and, and it's not just slapping. I'm, I'm like pummeling him like, how dare you punch me in public? You just embarrass me. I'm giving a bloody nose. I sit back there and be obedient until I tell you to stand. Uh, yeah? I, 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 no, don't, please don't try this. <laughs> I don't, let's, not, let's not reenact this. Or I could say, uh, hey, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that as many times as you want. Now, what he did, is that wrong? Yeah, it's totally, that's not called for. And if I don't discipline him, he will do that what? Again and again and again and again. I can show him all complete mercy and all and no justice, and this will be a threat to the entire world. Yes? I can show him complete justice and complete revenge and complete equal retribution for his sins and no mercy, and that's also a threat as well. You understand? Like, this is, this is the core of the issue. If you didn't get this, this the story is, I, I love the story. Once upon a time, there was a house. Amen? House. Mom, kid. And mom is, is slicing carrots. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. Baby boy is being, you know, being a very bad boy. So mom says to the baby boy, you've been a very bad boy. You've got to be in, 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 your, in your corner. And you can't leave your corner. And there's like a little crib thing, like he's, he's like stuck. He's in quarantined to the corner. Okay? So he's stuck. Mom is slicing, making dinner, or whatever she's doing. Down comes grandfather. Grandfather has a cane, nice three-piece, three-piece suit, nice little cabbie hat. He's got a nice white beard. And just, you know, a loving grandfather. And he's walking down, walking down. And he comes into the kitchen. And immediately upon seeing grandfather, little boy goes, eh. Which translated means what? Get me out of here. Your authority supersedes my mother. Get me out of here. Now, little children are desperately wicked. They are. Okay? They are. They're they're conniving. The the, the sinful nature is strong with the young ones. They need Jesus. Amen? We all need Jesus. Amen? But but sometimes they need him more. And so they're... And then mother looks to, to, to her dad and says, Dad, no. He's been a bad boy. To the grandfather's mind, he is stuck in the middle of the great controversy. Do you understand? If he picks up the boy, he has overridden all law, authority, and justice in the universe. The child will never listen to mother's authority ever again. The law has been completely abolished and there's no authority whatsoever. But if he ignores the child, the child will doubt whether God, whether the grandfather loves him at all for the rest of his life. And it's in his nature to love this child. 
what does he do? What does he do? What does he, what does he, what does he do? So he takes off his hat, takes off his jacket, puts down his cane, and he goes into the crib with him. And he plays with his grandson in the crib. Has the law still been fulfilled? Is there still mercy achieved? This is the brilliance, and this is the heart of the cross. Do you understand? Complete mercy, complete justice, kissing each other, according to Psalms. The brilliance and the heart of the cross. Do you understand this? Satan's PhD thesis is, no, 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 God. You can't be both at the same time. You're either this or you're this. Either you're a teddy bear of which we take advantage of you the entire time, or you're this boxer and then this, this bully of a God of which we fear uh, your name and just cower in your presence. And at the cross, the Zara just says this, at the cross, the two-thirds who, do, who chose God said, this is awesome. We totally made the right choice. And it was at the cross where the one-third of the fallen angel says, Oh, man, Satan's, Lucifer's thesis has been disproven. We made the wrong choice. Now, you see, in, in the most holy place, you have items of rebellion. And all the angels are staring into, what will God do? This is the component of, oh, I, I went forward here. 1 Peter 1.12, the things the angels, what? Desire to look into. Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold, manifold wisdom of God. The sanctuary message is not only about saving humanity, but it's about portraying God's character to the entire universe. Amen? Most holy place. It was the throne of God. These three taught that rebellion is at the core of God's throne. These also taught the authority of God. The manna was a manifestation of God's supernatural laws. Aaron's rod is a manifestation of his legal jurisdiction over his people. And the law of God is a manifestation of his, of his universal morality. These three also foreshadowed Christ. Manna was something that came down from heaven. This implied the incarnation was, was going to be something that saved God's character. Aaron's rod, so that something that was dead, is now what? Alive. You have a resurrection component in God's throne. And you have the law of God where Jesus lived a life of complete obedience and also complete freedom while being obedient. Amen, friends? Here you have the atonement phase, and this we talked about yesterday. That Remember, I don't know if you were here about the, the skin cells, yes? The Koreans, we are clean people. The non-Koreans, I don't know, some of you are clean, not all of you are clean, but some of you. But we like to scrub all the dense skin cells off of our body. And all those skin cells are, are, are inside that bathhouse. And for 359 days of the year, all those skin cells are accumulating... In sanctuary language, that would be the veil that holds all the sins of humanity. Yes? This is the first treatment of sins. This is the removal of sins from the sinner. Uh, and you find this in Leviticus. And this is the diagram that I mentioned yesterday. All these things are going, what? Inside. If this is confusing, 
I'll use a very weird analogy, and some of you guys might think this is really weird, but this is how I think of it. I like animals, not, not, as, not, not to have pets with, but just as, as object lessons. And when I think of the heavenly sanctuary, I think of a cat. Think of a what? Cats are known to be very, very clean because they clean themselves. Yes? They clean, they clean, and how they do this is they use their tongues. Their tongues have these little hooks on them. If you actually put them under a microscope, they look like little plastic hooks. Very interesting. Cats, all cats, lions and, and tigers, and, and all the cats have them, okay? And so they're licking themselves, licking, licking, licking. And what happens is you lick, and they lick all the dead uh, skin cells, fur, oil, and just debris. And where does it go? Inside the cat. It's licking, licking, and going inside, inside, inside. And for 359 days of the year, all that stuff is going inside. But one day of atonement comes around. And now all that stuff has to now come out. And what we call that coming out experience, the cleansing of the sanctuary, we call it the hairball experience. Amen? Or the cat goes, and it all what? Comes out. So we'll look at this. Let me show you this diagram. On the day of atonement, all these things now go which way? Out. When you come to the bathhouse, you leave and you're clean. But what's dirty? The bathhouse. One day of the year, that bathhouse needs to be what? Cleansed. In Daniel it says, the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Does that make sense? And when the early pioneers saw this, they had no idea about the sanctuary. And they said, sanctuary? Well, that's got to be earth. And the earth's going to be cleansed. That means Jesus is coming in 1844. You guys all know, know this. This is, this is the great disappointment. Yes? Are you familiar with this? And a lot of times the church is ashamed about that part in our, in our church's history, but this has been foretold in Revelation chapter 10. Amen? Let's go through this a little bit more, more in depth. Here you have the one day, the day of atonement. This is the second treatment of sins, where the sanctuary is cleansed, and all the sins are not removed from the sinner. The sins are removed from the sanctuary. In Leviticus 16, you'll see in the 14 through 16, 18 through 19, they're away from the ark. And this is the order that, they, that they, they do this. First, they put it on the lid of the ark. Second, they put it in front of the ark. Then third, they put it on the horns of the altar. Next, they put it in front of the altar. Then the horns of the outer altar, and then last, it's poured underneath the altar. Meaning their direction, instead of going in, now the direction is now going out. Does that make sense? The blood. The blood being, you find the, the, the direction of the blood. Okay? Now, if, if you just read this, you're like, oh, man, there's more blood. Okay, they're pouring. Okay. If you can, it's easy to skip over. But if you pay attention to the directions, the direction shows you which way the blood is going, left or right. Okay? Is this clear? This is kind of a, 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 the numbers here, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, 6. If you guys want to read more about this, this is found in the book Altar Call by uh, Dr. Roy Gain. You can get it for free on the Internet, too. It's a really good book to read. This is Faith I Live By, page 207. For 18 centuries, the work of ministration continued in the first department of the sanctuary. The blood of Christ... Pleaded in behalf of penitent believers, secure their pardon and acceptance with the Father, yet their sins still remain upon the books of record. 
As in the typical service, there was a work of atonement at the close of the year. So before Christ's work with the redemption of man is completed, there is a work of atonement for the removal of sin from the sanctuary. This is the service which began when the 2300 days ended. At that time, our high priest entered the most holy to perform the last division of his solemn work to cleanse the sanctuary. So you have Leviticus 16. What, this is the day of atonement. This is what happens. Once a year, you have two goats. Yeah? Two goats. Two, two, two random goats. And then they cast lots. Don't ask me what casting lots is. They just, they just decided. One becomes a sin offering. And whenever you have blood, blood implies transfer. Write that down on your, on your notes. Blood implies transfer. My sin goes to the lamb. The lamb goes to the blood. The blood goes to the priest. The priest goes to the, the sanctuary. The sanctuary, the sanctuary, it's all here. Then one day they take this, this, this one of the goats and they kill it. And its blood, the goat's blood, allows transfer of all these sins... Upon who? That second goat. Number two. And we call that the what? Scapegoat. Is anyone confused so far? Got two goats. One dude gets knocked out. Its blood transfers all the the dead skin cells of of, of the of the bathhouse, and we put it into a little skin 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 cell tank. <laughs> I don't know what the analogy is not really working anymore. Okay. Now, and then we call that the scapegoat. Then what happens? Take a scapegoat. You know, and they, 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 they place the, the, all the sins of Israel upon the scapegoat. And then a fit man takes the scapegoat and they go into the wilderness. And the scapegoat is not killed. It's just left out there to die in the wilderness by itself. And that word for wilderness, oh, here we go with this. This is an artist's representation. I don't want to get into something too weird. But today, Satan worshippers use the goat as a symbol of Satan. And I, I could have shown you more, more graphic stuff with goat and goats. And it's weird that they would use that. But here's one uh, version. And, and, and a word for, the Hebrew word for scapegoat is the word Azazel. And they actually refer to their Lord and Master as Azazel, Lord Azazel. Uh, if, you, if you're into Harry Potter stuff, and I hope you're not, but there's a lot of Azazel um, code words found in some of the the, the characters' names and, and incantations. We won't get into that. That's, that's kind of... Let's keep on going. Revelation 20, verse 3, and Re- Genesis 1, 2, talk about this. Revelation 20, verse 3, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed for a little season. Here, the bottomless pit is what? Greek, it's abyssos. This is the same word that you found in Genesis 1 and 2. 1, 2. The earth was without form and what? Void. Abyssos. God will revert the earth to a pre-existent uh, state, and Satan will be on this earth for how many years? So Jesus comes. All the righteous go upstairs, and we, we're going to be doing a, a lot of homework upstairs for 1,000 years. Amen? We're going to be judging the saints. And then on downstairs, Satan will be hanging out by himself. It's almost as if where God says, hey, Satan, you want to be on a world without me? Okay, then for a thousand years, I'll allow you to be in a world without me. And by the way, I'm, I'm pulling out. If I'm going to pull out, I'm going to take everything that was mine to begin with. So all the trees, that's mine. Animals, come here and light mine. So he's just going to be on, on this little thing. 
and then Satan's going to be like, well, I am the light bearer, and he's going to try to shine, but what's going to happen? For a thousand years, and he's going to think about, and I don't know about what's going to happen with him, and I don't want to know. We're going to be upstairs, amen? We're going to be upstairs, and we're going to be accessing the internet of all internets in heaven. And we're going to talk about this in the judgment scene later on. By the way, judgment is a good thing. Amen, friends? Judgment is not a British judge. I used to think uh, there's nothing wrong with British people or something. And a, judge, a British judge is someone who has a weird wig and a black robe and a hammer. And he's, he's, he's staring at you with his British accent and a cup of tea. And he's like, you're guilty. And he's just, And then these, these big men come out. To, and that is not judgment. A biblical definition of a judge is found in the book of Judges. Yes? These are men who defend God's people. That is our judge. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is not British. Amen, friends? <laughs> Leviticus 16.21. And here is where we see this. This is a huge, huge, huge insight here. Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him what? All the iniquities. Meaning when you sinned and you asked for forgiveness, does that sin go away? It leaves you. Amen, friends? You are, when you ask for forgiveness, instantaneously out of the character of God, your sins are forgiven. But they do not disappear. They're not like, They're transferred somewhere else. And ultimately what happens is this. All the, the, the sins of all of humanity go back to the originator of all sin. Yes? Now, if you want your sin, God says, hey, you can have it. But if you don't want your sin, then God says, I have provisions to take it away from you. Amen? And here, the person who's responsible for this is Aaron, who is our high priest. Now, Aaron is the the earthly high priest, who is our heavenly high priest. It's the Lord, or Jesus, amen. All the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions and all their sins putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man to the wilderness. Verse 22, And the goat shall bear upon him all their, what? Iniquities. Okay? So once, for an all, once, once and for all, all the sins of the camp are now what? Are gone. Amen? Now in the Hebrew calendar, after this, they just start over. But in the real time life, do we just start over again? Is there going to be a second day of atonement, and the third coming of Jesus, and the fourth? No, this just happens once and for for all. So you see this. This is just comparing these, the two slides and put it together. Stage one, all the sins go in. Stage two, all the sins go out. Pretty simple, amen? Okay. There were other important seasons, but this day was the most important. This is the Day of Atonement. This service presents the vital truth that Satan is the deceiver, but that Christ takes the guilt of all sinners. Meaning, some people, evangelicals have a hard time with this. They're saying, are you saying that Satan is the, the savior of, all, of, of our sins? Not at all. Not at all. Who is the one that takes away our sins? Jesus. It's Jesus' blood. But ultimately, who is the one that's responsible for our sins? It's going to be, I mean, who's going to take, who's, who's bearing all the responsibility is going to be Satan later on. Yeah. Uh, this day exposes Satan. Now that man is cleared of guilt, Satan's works are exposed. And I think this is why Satan hates the Day of Atonement. And he hates anyone, that, that, any church that, that purports this, this, this doctrine at all. 
cleansing of the sanctuary, here you see Daniel 8.14. This is amazing, right? Daniel 8.14. He said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the what be what? Okay. Now that we had four seminars in the sanctuary, when you read this first, do you know exactly what it's talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, this is the most holy place. Oh, this is... Boom. Totally makes sense. Millerite Adventists thought the sanctuary was the earth, but now we know it is the heavenly sanctuary. The prophecies of Daniel 8 and 9 start in 457 B.C. If you don't know this, we're not going to go into this, but you should know this. You've got to ask your local pastor, hey, how do you get 457? What's, what is Daniel 8 and 9? This is just elementary uh, Bible, Bible prophecy. The days equal a prophetic year according to Numbers 1434 and Ezekiel 4.6. Um, negative 457 plus 2300 days plus 1 for the 80 B.C.'s conversion. You come with what number? 1844, and that's the password for a lot of Seventh-day Adventists on their laptops, okay? <laughs> but it's not mine. Okay, <laughs> Daniel 9.25. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah shall be th- seven weeks, threescore two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even to tr- troublous times. You should know this Bible verse like the back of your hand. Okay? Daniel 9 should be on your refrigerator. It should be in a fortune cookie. And you should open it every morning and, and eat this. Not, just know it. Okay? You've got to know this. And this, this is where we get the, the date, 457 B.C. This is the 2300-day year prophecy. Here you'll see the 457 starts here. 457 plus 2300 years, we get what? 1844. Now, we know that the 2300-year prophecy is totally for sure because the second prophecy, the secondary prophecy, is linked at the head at 457, 457 plus 490, and we come up with the crucifixion of Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus anchors this in history for sure. It hinges upon 457 and then slingshots all the way to 1844. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay. Once you understand that, it's just like anchor, hinge, slingshot. Boom, 1844. Now, if you don't believe in the crucifixion, then you technically shouldn't believe in 1844. Okay? Every person who believes in the crucifixion should automatically hinge and slingshot to 1844. Today, we are living in the anti-typical day of atonement. While the high priest goes in, all the Israelites were waiting outside, and they're waiting for the high priest to come out. Every man was, in his pictures and prophets, page 355, every man was to afflict his soul while the work of atonement was going forward. All business was laid aside, and the whole congregation of Israel was spent, spent the day in solemn humiliation before God with praying, fasting, and deep searching of heart. Do you see? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of components. What are we to do while we wait for the high priest to come out? Four things. Number one is resting. We are not to work. And isn't it interesting that the Sabbath doctrine came about around this time? Now, we all have to work, amen? We need to, this is not, just because of the Day of Atonement, does not mean we have, we have got to just be on vacation until Jesus comes, amen? But there's a, rest, there's a component of resting, meaning every seven days we are to cease from all work. Sabbath is directly linked to the sanctuary doctrine. Seventh-day Baptists keep the Sabbath for a different reason than Seventh-day Adventists do. All Sabbatarians are not the same. Number two, there's praying going on. Seventh-day Adventists should have the highest spirituality of any people on this earth. Amen? Third component, there is fasting. Meaning, we're not, we not supposed to do complete fast. Meaning, uh, we're not supposed to not eat until Jesus comes. Amen, friends? 
Amen? That's the largest, loudest amen I've gotten today. Okay? Uh, I'm being facetious. I'm, there's a dietary component to waiting for Jesus. Yes? And isn't it interesting that the health message comes up right about this time as well? You see how everything is just coming together. Yeah? Okay? So you are not a vegetarian to, or, or a vegan or a fruitarian or an oxygenarian, whatever your dietary persuasion is. There's no such thing as oxygenarian if you are. I want to talk to you because you're really weird. Okay? But there is a dietary component not out of health, but out of holiness. Amen? Now, it's in, when, you're, when you're holy, are you also healthy? Okay? But sometimes we're so focusing on being healthy, sometimes Seventh-day Adventists are the most unhealthy people on, on earth. I'm a vegetarian, but I only eat popcorn and nachos. <laughs> Popcorn's pretty healthy. Anyway. And then they're searching. They're searching. And searching is an active devotional life. When it says afflict your souls, this does not mean take a whip and then hit yourself on the back. Okay? That is opious day. That is not Seventh-day Adventists. Amen? Afflicting your souls means my soul is not Christ-like. How can I become more like Jesus? And it's an active devotional life. Every morning it is an encounter with God and say, Lord, make me like Jesus. I can't stand that guy. I hate kale. I hate church. But make me like Jesus. I'm, I'm drop-kicking my dog. I, I, I'm, I'm, make me like Jesus. Make me like Jesus. Okay. You guys got your own sins. Don't make fun of mine. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I don't, drop, I don't have a dog. <clears throat> Great Controversy, page 678. I, I love this passage, yes? The Great Controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. And the, great, uh, the entire universe is what? It's clean. This is, this is an OC, OCD's dream, yes? This is a... No germs ever. But more than the physical element, there's no spiritual germs ever. There's no sin. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. I love that. And for the rest of, of, our, of our, our experiences and, and for eternity... We're going to be talking to the Klingons and Vulcans and Ewoks and Martians. And they're going to be like, wow, what is it like? When, and you lied? Like, you said something that was not true? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I told that lady that the dress was ugly. Or it was beautiful and it was really ugly. And I, I lied to that lady. And Wow, give us your testimony. And we're, we're talking about to the whole universe what it was like. But now, more than what it was like to sin... We're giving our testimony of how we met the Lord Jesus and how he cleansed us from this. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is. And in the conflict of the age series, you know that the first three words in Patriarchs of Prophets is. And the last three words in Great Controversy is. God is love. How many of you want to be part of the Day of Atonement Revolution. Seventh-day Adventists have been given a message to the whole world, but I would say this. We have been given a special mission field to Christianity as well. Yes? We have a mission to the whole world. Yes, three angels' message, amen. 
but we have a special message to also the rest of Christianity. We need to bring everyone's focus back to Jesus. And right now, no one does not, no one knows the answer to the question, what is Jesus doing now? We are the only denominations that's real time. Amen, everyone? Real time. How many want to be part of the real time revolution? 1844 revolution. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we pray, we have a high priest ministering on our behalf. Father, we ask for that sobriety that's necessary in acknowledging this. Father, does that mean, we know that doesn't mean that, that we're, we're joyless and, 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 and morose and, and depressed. But Lord, we are sober. We do look forward to a real reunion face-to-face with our high priest. So, Father, we ask here that uh, our hearts may be clean, our minds may be clean, our words may be clean, our, our souls may be clean, and this can only be done by the blood of, of your Son, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And we, we, we declare him to you right now. We thank you for this message that grants us assurance. We pray in Jesus' name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.